Okay, so I want to um, I want to just kind of recap where we are, and so we're you know we're in week six of this series called Reset, and really this um, this series is about is about becoming an accidental Pharisee, and so uh, if if we were going to frame it in for us tonight, I would say this series is a conversation about how to recognize and avoid the dangers of becoming an accidental Pharisee. And so if you have your hand out, that's your first blank. And so what do I mean when I say, well, how do we recognize and avoid um, the dangers of becoming an accidental Pharisee? And what, what is a Pharisee? And so we read through the Gospels, and what we see is we see the Pharisees are the people that Jesus was just constantly dropping the hammer on. He gave the Pharisees a harder time than he gave anybody. And they were these religious leaders. And I think, uh, you know, as I've spent time preparing for tonight and just uh, in the last uh, message, message I did, I, you know, I don't think that, uh, I think the Pharisees thought they were doing good. They thought they were doing right. And, and their intention was to, was to do right. But somehow they got off track. Somewhat, somehow they got off course. And the reality is, is that nobody ever sets out to become a Pharisee. And that's the whole reason why we say accidental Pharisee. Because in our minds, if we're honest, in our minds, the Pharisees are the bad guys. Because if you know anything about Scripture, if you open your Bible and you start reading through the Gospels, it won't take you long to figure out that Jesus really did, man, he, he hammered them. And, and so... We don't want to be the Pharisees. We're not the Pharisees. Those are the bad guys. That's somebody else. And, and so rarely do, we, um, rarely do we look in the mirror and, and see a Pharisee looking back at us because it's always somebody else. And, and I think that one of the reasons for that is it's a subtle change. It's a slow fade. And, and, and I mentioned the last time I taught that uh, the longer we're Christians, the more prone we are to become more pharisaical, like to carry some of the traits and some of the attributes of the Pharisees. And so we got to be very careful to allow Scripture to reveal things to us whenever that begins to become who we are and the way we, we see things. And so, like I said last time, you know, nobody ever... I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people about a lot of things, and I've never had anybody come to me and say, you know... I'm just a Pharisee. Like, no, nobody says that. I mean, I've heard a lot of things, and I've heard a lot of really, really bad things, but I've never heard, I'm just a Pharisee, Pastor Brian, because we don't see ourselves that way. And so what we need to understand is that accidental Pharisees are made up of people just like you and me, okay? Because we need to understand that going in, that there's a Pharisee, I, I don't care whether you've been walking with Christ for a day, or for decades, that there's a Pharisee living inside of each one of us. There is. And so we've got, to, we've got to constantly be examining our hearts and looking to the Word to reveal those things. Because here's the thing, that, that Pharisees and accidental Pharisees, they're people who love God. They're people who, who love the Scriptures and really are trying their best to live by what God says in His Word. 
And they are just that. Accidental Pharisees are accidental. That's how we get there. I, I mentioned the last time I taught, and I only had one person. Um, I only had one person come up to me after service, and I won't say his name, Dave. Um, but I said, becoming an accidental Pharisee is like ending up at Golden Corral. Nobody. Nobody ever sets out to go eat at Golden Corral. You just somehow end up there. And David's like, that's not true. I love Golden Corral. And I'm like, so there's, there's one, okay? So Dave's the, the one guy, and Tamara goes just because she's married to Dave. But the point is, is, is nobody sets out to end up at Golden Corral. It's like you, you, all these other places, and somehow you're scratching your head when you're sitting at the table going, how did we end up here? Like... There are so many, other, so many other options. And so we want to spend some time and we want to talk about how do we discover and how do we recognize and how do we avoid these dangers when it comes to um, becoming a Pharisee. And so we've talked about pride. We've talked about exclusivity. We've talked about, um, Matt talked about legalism last week. And so just kind of looking at some of these common things that we see that tend to to rise up in our lives. And so tonight we're going to have a conversation about, about unity. And here's where we need to begin. We need to begin by understanding that if you're a Christian, and if I'm a Christian, then we're one in Christ. Okay? That's important for us to understand from the very beginning. That if you're a Christian in here tonight, and if I'm a Christian, which I am, then we're one in Christ. You don't have to produce unity. We don't have to produce unity. We already have it. It is a spiritual reality. It is, it is who we are, that we are one in Christ. We don't have to produce that. We have to protect it, but we can't produce it. And so uh, I'm going to lay out some, some passages of Scripture uh, early on in our conversation tonight, and then we'll build everything that we uh, talk about on top of that. Okay, so in Ephesians chapter 4, verse Verse 4 through 6 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's one that we're, there is unity. This is a spiritual reality. And so here's, here's the question then. If this is true, which it is, why is unity so, why is it so elusive? Why is it so, um, why, why does it always feel like unity is slipping away? Why is it so difficult? So much so, if you remember before Jesus was about to end his time here on earth, before he was about to head to the cross and be crucified, he prayed a prayer in John chapter 17, and he spent some time praying for the people that were standing in front of him. But then he gets to verse 20, and he begins to pray for not only the people that were, that were with him in the room, but he also began to pray for those who would come, for those who would become children of God because of the faithfulness of the people that are in the room. And he began to pray for for you and he began to pray for me he began to pray for us and what does he pray for now ephesians 4 is true there's one faith one baptism one god overall like well all those things are true but what does jesus pray he says i do not ask for these only 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be even as we are, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you have loved me. That, that Jesus is praying that we would walk in unity. That we would, we would walk in the oneness that, that is made available through Christ and through his coming. And so we don't have to produce it. That God is the one who produces it, but we do have to protect it. And we're going to have to work diligently to preserve uh, unity within the body of Christ. We're going to have to work really hard. So, remember what I just read you in Ephesians chapter 4. And if you were here this past Sunday, remember I told you that Ephesians is really broke up into two halves. And so the first half is really just indicative. So proud of myself. My wife said I should have given you a better uh, definition. So it's a statement. So this is our identity. This is, this is who we are. And then the imperative follows. And so the first three chapters, he's just laying out the gospel. This is what the gospel is. This is what is true for you because of the gospel. This is your identity in Christ. And then chapter 4, he starts laying, okay, these are the implications of everything that I've just laid out before you. Okay? And so... In, in Ephesians chapter 4, I just read you verses 4 through 6. Well, the three verses before that, before the whole conversation of, of one body, one spirit, one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, before all of that, listen to what Paul says. Now, this is directly following one command in the first three chapters of Ephesians. And then he goes in. What is the first thing he talks about? What's the first thing he says? I, therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. He's like, you guys are going to have to do this together, and you're, bu you're a bunch of sinful people you're, you're a bunch of boneheaded people and you're going to make each other mad and you're going to hurt each other's feelings and you're going to you're going to do things that are going to cause pain and so like you're going to have to work really really hard and you're going to have to do this with all humility and with gentleness and with patience and you're going to have to bear with one another in love because some of y'all are just really kind of difficult some of y'all are hard to love and some of you are hard to bear with. And so you're gonna, some are going to be easier than others, but you're going to have to bear with one another in love. And you're going to have to be eager to maintain. You're going to have to protect. You're going to have to preserve. You're going to have to really work really, really hard, diligently to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace because it is really elusive. And it's always slipping. And so it's something that we're going to have to fight for. But it is important. It's hard to maintain. If you think, if you go back, where did, where did all this begin? Like if you trace it all the way back, and you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. And think about this, that since the fall, since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that we've had a really hard time getting along ever since. And sin impacted every area of our lives. It impacted every single thing in this world. 
And it impacted our relationship. It did. If you're married, you're like, amen, I know. It impacted everything. The first story outside of the Garden of Eden, it's a story of one brother killing another. That's, that's the story. And here's the question, why? Why did Cain kill Abel? It had to do with worship. Had to do with worship. And all of a sudden now there's this tension. There's this tension. What's the proper way to worship? Cain brings an offering. Abel brings his best offering, a sacrifice. And Cain doesn't like it. And so, well, his idea of worship and Abel's idea of worship led to somebody being killed. You see what I'm saying? And so, like, from the very beginning, their relationships were, were damaged, but it it's, was surrounded. How to, what's the proper way to, to worship God? Now, I want, I want to have two quick conversations before we dive in fully tonight. One, because I want you to understand a couple of things. I want to frame in your mind some of the things that I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about major theological issues. We're going to talk about unity, and we're going to talk about how we need to overlook, and we need to be eager to maintain. And I'm not talking about major theological issues. I'm not talking about overlooking heresy, which is just false teaching. I'm not saying, like, there are certain things. That's not what we're talking about. I'm not talking about deep, deep wounds that have been caused to you whether it's some type of abuse or, or whatever that is. I'm not talking about these major things. I'm not talking about um, embracing a different gospel than the one that we find in, in Scripture. That, that faith comes through, I mean, salvation comes through faith alone and Christ alone, right? We understand how, so I'm not talking about some other salvation other than what's preached and proclaimed in the gospel. I'm not talking about ignoring blatant rebellious sin what i'm talking about is what we might think about like the fine print that we find in scripture right i'm talking about our preferences i'm talking about maybe our traditions not necessarily what we find in scripture but what what we find traditional things that we love about the church or I, you know, whatever, whatever it is, I'm talking about secondary issues, not primary issues. And so it's important for us to understand that going in. Because there are certain things that we've got to be the hand-raised guy going, hold on, something's not, something's not right here, okay? And so somebody's going to have to be the hand-raised guy occasionally. And so whenever we find ourselves in those situations, but we're talking about major issues, not minor issues. And so understand, we're talking about big things, big things. All right, and then uh, secondly, we need to have the conversation of uh, unity versus uniformity. Unity versus uniformity. Because those are two totally different things. Biblical unity is, um, it's a lot like a family. So think of if you have kids, um, or you've been around kids. If you've been around here, you've been around kids. And so... Uh, so just imagine, you know, putting your kids in the back seat of the car at a young age and going on a long road trip. It's not going to take long before somebody's wanting to kill somebody. And probably you wanting to kill all of them, right? Because it's like, can y'all just not get along? 
You know what I mean? Or if you got kids and you're like, hey, y'all go play in your room or go play outside. And next thing you know, like somebody's coming in and, or coming out the room and crying or bleeding or, you know, somebody's hurt, somebody's upset. And all you're like, I just, I just wanted to make dinner. I just wanted two minutes of peace and quiet. You guys can't get along for any period of time. And so, like, we understand there's going to be disagreements. I, I uh, so a couple weeks ago, my mom came in town for my niece's graduation. And me and my sister and, uh, and my mom, we went to, we went to lunch. And, um, and my sister's husband went to. But my sister was right. She didn't ride with us to the restaurant. She rode back with us. And so she gets in, the, she gets in the, my truck to go back to her house. And on the way over, my mom rode in the front seat. And so my sister gets in the front seat whenever we start to leave. And I'm like, hold up. I'm like, Mom, I didn't sign up for this. Like, you, you're just going to let her just hop. And she's like, oh, you're fine, you know. And so then I start playing around, you know. I, like, reach over, and I give her the old poke in the arm. And she's like, what are you doing? And she's like, why are you touching me? Stop touching me. And I'm like, and my mom is going, are we really doing this? And I'm like, oh, we're doing this. And so then I get back my finger off just a little bit, and I get it in her face, and I'm not touching her. And I'm like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm almost 50 years old, but I'm still a kid. And so I'm like doing all these things, you know, but I never fully touch her. And, and so, but that's, you're like, that's my world. That's the life that I live on a daily basis. My kids, like what is, what is going on? But here's, here's what we need to understand. It doesn't matter if you want to kill each other. We're stuck with each other. We're family, right? And so that's the point. Like, you can want to kill your brother. You can want to kill your sister. But it doesn't matter. We're family. And so we got to learn how to get along. We're united by birth, not by choice. Okay? So if you think about family, we're united by birth, not by choice. And nothing's going to change that. As Christians, we're united by Jesus, not by choice. We are united by Him. And nothing is going to change that. And so we better figure this out. We better figure out how to, how to get along. And so what we need to understand that biblical unity is rooted solely in our relationship with Jesus. It is not dependent on our shared religious practices or our preferences. It is, we are united solely based on our relationship with Christ and Him alone. Okay? And so we need to understand that. Now, again, uniformity is something, something very different. And if we're not careful, it can become like based on these um, clone-like similarities where we all begin to walk a certain way, talk a certain way, dress a certain way, look a certain way, use the same language, use it, right? And we got all these things and we begin to just all kind of conform to the same. Now, we want to conform more into the image of Christ, but we don't want to conform into the image of one another, okay? And so uniformity says, hey, we're just, what God wants for us is for us to all to be alike. And here's what I want you to understand, and this is why it's important we have this conversation, that God delights in our diversity. Like, I, I, I look around the room tonight, and I see so many different people from so many different places and so many different backgrounds. And it's a beautiful thing. And I'm so grateful that nobody else 
in here looks like you, acts like you, has the same qualities, the same giftedness, the same, the same temperament, the same personality. Like, we're, we're different. If you're, if you're in a discipleship group, you've recently been reading Psalm 139, where the Bible talks about how we've been knit together in our mother's womb. And we are, we are created unique. We are cu- created unique. And so we've been given like different, different passions and different loves and different, like, here's the thing. It's not, it's not too hard to get along with somebody who, and to be patient with somebody and to be kind to somebody and bear with somebody. Is that passage out of Ephesians 4 was talking about that is just like us, that thinks like us, does like us. Now, you know, we, we a lot of times are like, well, why, wouldn't, why don't they just think like I think? Why don't they just do like I do? Why won't they just be more like me? And so if we're honest, we, that's what we want. We want uniformity, but what God wants for us is unity. And so God came to save us in our differences, not from them. And he delights in diversity. He, he gives us, he does, we're not to look exactly the same. We're not to think exactly the same. Our giftedness is not to be the same. Our passions should not be the same. They're not. Not not everyone is going to be passionate about your thing. And so oftentimes what we want to do, if we're honest, we want everybody to conform and be passionate about the same thing we're passionate about. Well, what if we were all just, now we should all be passionate about Jesus, but that is going to look very different in the way it fleshes itself out in our lives. Does that make sense? So, so here's what I was thinking about. Just because it's the season that we're entering in, we're about to send four teams on mission in the next couple months. And so we hit the summer, and it's like all systems go. And so we're going to be sending a team here shortly to the Navajo, and we're going to be sending a team to the Dominican Republic. And then in so that's in June, and then in July, we've got a team going to Brazil and a team going to Guatemala. Every one of those teams and every one of those trips is very different and very unique, if you think about it. I mean, I was asking Jeff before service, and I, I was pretty sure as the construction crew, they're going to do some work, they're going to be building some things. Um, not everybody's gifted to, to do that. Steve and Patty are leading a team to Guatemala in July. It's a medical trip. They're taking nurses and doctors and people who work in the medical field and see not everybody's gifted in that we're sending a team to brazil and going to unreached areas and it's going to be a smaller team it's going to be a different focus and we're sending a team to dominican that's going to be very evangelistic and we're partnered with the church specifically there that we're coming alongside and working with and here's here's my point if 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 our passions were same if we were so for instance if if it was just about hey it's just about Brazil, okay? And we're only, look, I, Tony is passionate about Brazil. He's leading that team. And so he gets up here and he says, this is what we're doing. This is the only thing we're doing. This is, everybody needs to be passionate about Brazil. This is what we're going to do. And then everybody says, okay, we're all on board. And so everybody piles up and goes to Brazil. That's a good thing, right? Man, just think about it. all the people that are now in Brazil and all the impact that we can have. But what about the people what about the Navajo people? What about the people in Guatemala? What about the people in the Dominican Republic? What, you see what I'm saying? 
And so if we're all passionate about the same thing, but we got to be careful. We can't, we can't force our passion on people and trying to get everybody to be passionate about the same things we're passionate about. God's given us different passions for a reason so we can reach the multitude in a multitude of different ways. And so different passions are good. Different giftedness is good. So if you're a nurse, you're probably not going on a construction trip. But God's at work in Navajo Nation. God's doing great things. And he's used our church in a great way. I mean, I just look back at Mark and Penny and think about just the difference that, that has been made through the, through the mission work and through this church in that area. Like, God has been so good and so faithful. God gave them a passion. God gave them a giftedness. God did a great work in and through them. Like, and so not everybody's going to be passionate in the same way about the same things. Amen. Like, that's, that's a good thing. And I think sometimes we can get discouraged because people don't get passionate about our thing. Right? Maybe in the past you found yourself there. You lead a ministry. You're part of a ministry. And you're like, man, people just aren't passionate like I am. Well, God's given you that passion to lead the way. And there are going to be people that come and get on board with you. And then there are going to be people that don't. But they're going to go and be passionate about other things. And that's how we accomplish the purpose and the mission of God. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. And so we want to recognize that and understand, understand that. And because of that, because of our differences, because of our passions, it's an essential part of how God's sovereign plan, how he's carrying out his plan in this world to, to reach everyone, to use everyone, to do what he's called us to, what he's called us to do. That's how he does it, through our uniqueness, through our, our different giftedness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to go and read that, it really talks about the diversities of gifts and, and how God has called us to these things and how we're different. But just listen to these few verses here. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, right? That we're one, but we're different. So, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. This is everything that, that we've just been talking about. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We're passionate about Jesus, and that is going to flesh itself out in a lot of different ways. We're not all called to serve the same way. I was thinking today about uh, all the different things that have to, like, that take place on any given time that we're together, whether it's a Wednesday night or whether it's a Sunday. Like, there's so many things that have to happen. Like, there's people who show up here that unlock the building, that welcome people in. There's people working the soundboard up there. There's, on Sunday morning, there's people working the streaming. There's people serving in the preschool area. There's people serving in the children's ministry. There's people serving right now. There's a student service over here for our teenagers. There's people serving over there. There's a security team going on. There's a million different things that are happening every single time that we get together. And people are using their giftedness and the passion for what, so that we can, so that we can do what we just read about. That to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. And so God has actually made us different on purpose. Therefore, we should celebrate our differences. 
We should celebrate our differences. So often we want to change people when we should be celebrating our differences. And like I said, if we're honest, and I've thought this, I believe this, I'll still, I'm, I'll, I'll, at some point in time, probably in the near future, I will feel this. Like, why, why can't they just, now I may not say it this way, but what I want them to do is just to think like me, to be like me, to do it the way I would do it. Right? Why can't, it, why can't everybody just do this the right way? And of course, my way's the right way. And your way is the right way in your mind. And so we approach things and then we start butting heads because everybody thinks their way is the, their way is the right way. And we should be celebrating our, our differences. And we should celebrate our differences um, in this room. But we should also celebrate our differences. We're not the only Christians in Gulfport, Mississippi. I don't know if you know that or not. There's other good churches in our area. We're on the same team. We're on the same team. We're not in competition with one another. And I'm not saying every church is a good church. I'm just saying there are a lot of good churches that believe what Scripture says, that hold fast to what, what God says in His Word. And they look different than us. And they, they focus in on some other things maybe differently than we do. But they're good churches. And we're not in competition. And because maybe we see differently on a couple things here and there, like, that they're good, they're good churches, and our church is not the only good church. And so we need to remember that. The church down the road, like, we need to celebrate our differences. And we need to, we need to be encouraging and, and be uplifting and be grateful that we're not the only church on the coast. That there's other churches on the coast that are reaching people for Christ. People that maybe we, we won't ever reach. But because of who they are, and they're, they're going to reach them. And so we need to... We need to be careful. Okay, so here's a question I have for you. Um, we've, we've talked about what we're talking about. We've talked about this whole conversation about unity versus uniformity. Well, what happens when, when siblings refuse to get along? When we're not seeking to maintain unity within the body of Christ? What does that do? What, what happens when we, when we do that? Well, I'm going to... I'm going to put it basically into, into two categories. We wound each other and we damage the reputation of our father. So essentially everything that happens is going to fall into one of those two, two categories. We wound each other and we damage the reputation of our father. See, when siblings can't get along, everybody suffers. It's not just the sibling. Cause if, and if you're a parent, you're like, I know, because I'm the one that suffers because they can't get along. Then i got to step in. Then they're grounded, which means I'm grounded. Right? Everybody suffers. The, the ones who can't get along suffer. The other si siblings suffer because of, because of what's going on. The parents now suffer. Everybody suffers in the equation. It's not just the ones involved. You know, maybe you've been in the grocery store and you've experienced and witnessed the, um, the meltdown on aisle six, right? You're walking by and all of a sudden you hear just this commotion or maybe this god-awful scream or, like, or you see kids like going berserk on each other and you see the mom just, 
or the dad just looking over here like nothing's going on, right? And you're like, you realize like they're literally about to kill each other. It's, it's going to happen. Somebody's going to die. And then they're like, I don't, no, don't do that, you know. And then they're going along and then these kids are like, one's dragging the other one by the hair, you know. It's like, and, and it is just like complete meltdown on aisle six. And here's what you do when you walk away from that. You think, thank God that's not my family. Right? And then you think, they're horrible parents. What is wrong with them? Like, get your kids under control. Right? That, be honest. You think. Like, you, you look at what the kids are doing, and you think, horrible parents. Or they can't get it together. We, we, we look at them, and that we draw a conclusion about the parents based on what the kids are doing. Agreed? Right. And so, stop and think what I just said. We wound each other and we damage the reputation of, of Christ. And so we thought poorly about those parents. It's not, good for, it's not good for anybody. And so we've got to be people who protect the unity in the church for, this, for, the, repu, for the sake of the reputation of our Father. We've got to realize what's at stake. And the reputation of our Father is at, is at stake. What more could be at stake? We think about the whole conversation about meltdown on aisle six, but what about the very honor in the name of God himself in the world in which he, he made? And so when the world sees us loving and bearing with one another, we gain credibility to speak into their lives. We, we, grant, we gain credibility. Like, it, and it reflects well on our Heavenly Father. When, when we're out doing those things, I mean, stop and think about it. Like, we really do think a certain way about the parents of kids in which we come in contact with. If kids are well-behaved, if they're doing good, if they get along well, we think, man, they've got great parents. Now, this isn't always true. I mean, some kids are just horrible, and some kids are good on their own, right? But, and the parents don't have anything to do with that. But, but the point is, is like, the way kids... The way kids interact, the way kids live their lives, the, the things that they give themselves to and the things that they're passionate about, things, the way they carry themselves, it really does reflect something about their parents. And see, we, as Christians, we want to make sure that we're reflecting our Father well in the, world in, which we, in the world in which we live. Because the opposite side of this is true. When the world sees disunity in the people of God, they're not likely to listen to anything we have to say. Like, if, we can't, if we can't get along, why in the world? I mean, we talk about love. We talk about the love of the Father. And yet, we can't, we can't get along. You've heard me say this a bunch of times. But when we enter into a relationship with God, we enter into a relationship with one another. It's a, it's a family. And so it's a vertical relationship that leads to a whole lot of horizontal relationships. And so we're now brothers and sisters in Christ. We're, we're part of a family, and that family is communicating something to the world around us. It's communicating. It, now, the question is, what is it communicating? But it's communicating something. The way in which we interact and love our, amongst ourselves, it's communicating. And so when, when you have a family that, that can't get along, it's communicating something. When you have a family that that gossips about one another, it's communicating something. 
when you have a family that's continually tearing one another down. It's communicating something. And people are standing back and people are taking notice and people are watching and they're asking, why would I want to be a part of that family? Thank God I'm not part of that family. The same way we walk by aisle six and think, yikes, keep moving, keep moving. And so we've got to be very, very careful. And there's times, there's times that, you know, we find ourselves and we're like, we've genuinely been done wrong. And what has been done to us is not fair. And it was painful. And, and we feel like, well, it's an injustice to keep silent. Like, what they did isn't okay. And so, like, something's got, to be, something's got to be done. And so it would be an injustice to keep silent. And, and maybe we want to retaliate. And maybe not for the sake of making them pay for what they've done, but just for the, the fact that, hey, they can't get away with this. Like, this isn't okay. And so we want to expose, we want to expose what's been done to us or how we've been wronged. Or we want, to, we want to plead our case to the people around us. And my question is, is that what's most important? Is that what's most important? Or is there something far greater at stake? There are times, and I'm talking personally, there are times where we all should do this, but I'm just saying, like, there are times when I'm like, that's not fair. What they're saying about me is not fair. And it's not true. There are times where I just have to eat it. What is, what is me saying something going to accomplish? Is it going to damage the church? Is it going to hurt the name of Christ? Guess what? I'll eat it. I'd rather my reputation be damaged than the reputation of the church and the reputation of my Savior. And so there are going to be times where, listen, Christian, you're going to have to deny yourself. And you're going to have to say, you know what? It's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. And so I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to wear that one. I'm going, to have to, I'm going to have to take that one on the chin. And I could say something. As a matter of fact, I could run you over with the truth. But I'm going to show grace in this moment. And I'm going to let God, I'm going to believe that God is at work in your life. And I'm going to, I'm going to trust that. And I'm going, to, I'm going to take the high road on this one. That's what, we're, for the sake of unity. We're going to have to do, there are going to be times, and I'm not saying every time is that way. But I'm just saying there's something greater at stake than my feelings being hurt. There's something greater at stake than your your feelings being hurt. So we're going to have to protect the unity in the church for the sake of one another. For this, and again, remember, I'm not talking about major things. I'm talking about our poor little feelings getting hurt and our reputation being damaged. And so there are going to be times where we have to, we have to take the high road. We have to be the one to say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to show grace here. And then I want you to think, too, I want you to think about how um, even when we're right, sometimes we can be right, and it can be a time and a situation where we need to step in and we need to have a conversation, but we can be right, and we can handle it completely wrong. We, and we can. We can run people over. Or, Scripture teaches when we have a problem with somebody, we should do what? 
we should go to everybody else and talk about how we were done wrong? Or should we go to that individual in love and have a conversation? Right? And so, so we can be right. And we know that a conversation needs to be had, but we go and we start having a conversation with everybody else. We start pleading our case to, to everybody else. Maybe we're, we're fearful that the other person has already had a conversation with these people, and so we got to go make sure that they get our side of the story. Meanwhile, never hang a conversation with the, with the individual. And so, so we got to be careful that we're not just running around and having a, you know, got to beat them to it. We got to make sure that everybody understands how we were done wrong, or we got to make sure they understand our side or justify our actions, or, you know, and just fill in the blank, whatever, whatever it is. And then I was thinking about this too that um, because I was, what, what good does that do, number one? What good does it do? But what does that do to when we run around talking about it, we should have people that we can go to that love Jesus and love us? We should have people that we can go to and, and say, hey, I need some godly wisdom right here. How would you handle this situation? But that's just like one or two people. That's not everybody. That's not everybody. What, is, what does it do to the individuals that we go and we start pleading our case to? Now all of a sudden, now, now the way they see the other person, it's been, it's been damaged. It's been warped. And so you may, you may be able to move on down the road. Well, what if they can't? What if, what if they never speak to them again because you went to them to plead your case to see to tell your side and now they never have another conversation with their brother or sister in Christ because of something you loaded on them. And so we got to be very careful the way in which we do things and, and how we present that. So what's it doing to the here? And then not only that, what is it doing to the person that we're talking about? And maybe we feel like, well, who cares? They didn't care what they're doing to me. They're running around talking to everybody else. They're blasting me on Facebook or they're blasting me on social media. It happens. It has happened. It will happen. You know, and so like, it, why am I worried about how it's going to impact them? Well, we're called to, to care about how it, it impacts others. And we got to be careful or we're just going to constantly be creating division and discord. It's not good for anybody. It's not good for anybody. It's damaging for the church. It's damaging for unity within the body of Christ. It's damaging for the reputation of Christ. And so here's the thing. And, and this will be very helpful. We shouldn't be running around talking about everything to everybody. And we shouldn't be giving an ear to listen to people who are running around talking about everybody. Okay? So it's just as much a sin for you to sit there and listen, to feed into it. Like, it's just as much of a sin. And it's sowing just as much discord and it's sowing just as much damage into the body of Christ. And so it's not just the one who's speaking, but when we're listening, we're giving ear to that, we're encouraging that behavior. Not only in the moment, but we're encouraging it to continue on from that moment forward. Listen to what, you know, the whole conversation, well, what, they don't care about me, why should I care? Listen to what Paul says in Philippians. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Here's this picture of unity again. I mean, over and over and over in Scripture, it's this one mind and one accord. Like, there's this 
this picture of unity that God desires for the people of God. Well, how do we get there? How do we get there? He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's the the key. The key is, is right perspective. And here's how we keep a right perspective. We must remember that the Christian life is bigger than us. The Christian life is bigger than us. We should be more concerned about our brothers and sisters in Christ than we are ourselves. We should be more concerned about the Lord's reputation than we are our own. When we hurt each other's feelings, when there is conflict, there will be conflict. We're broken, sinful people living in biblical community with one another. We're going to hurt one another sometimes. Most of the times it's not intentional, but it does happen. And so what do we do in those moments? Well, we seek reconciliation. You know what I do when I hurt my wife? I go and I say, I'm sorry. I'm a moron. I'll try not to be a moron again, but I'm probably going to be a moron again. And so, like, it, it's going to happen. We're going to hurt each other, some, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But what do we do? We seek reconciliation and remember that the Christian life is bigger than us. And we've got to ask the question, what's, what's best for the kingdom, not what, what is best for me? We set our differences aside for something far greater. I started thinking about, okay, so we're having this conversation about, like, how do we, you know, whenever there's conflict, what do we do to seek reconciliation? We're having this whole conflict. But, like, what do we do in the church world um, when maybe somebody thinks different? Now, these are minor details. These aren't major details, right? We're talking about secondary issues or just not even really issues, just preferences. So uh, I'm going to pick on Steve because... Steve's up here every single week, and he's leading worship on Sunday morning. Steve's like, man, what did I do? I just came in and sat down. Steve's wearing a hat in church. Mmm. What y'all got to think about that? Is that okay? I mean, Steve thinks it's okay. Maybe somebody in here thinks, well, that's not showing reverence to God. To which I would say, Show me in the Bible where... Now, there's a lot of people who think that wearing a hat in church is sin. To which I would say, here's the Bible. Show me where it is, and we'll have a great discussion. Okay? But what if it's like, hey, I know it's not in Scripture, but there's just part of me that's like, I just feel like we should show reverence to God when we come into His presence. And Steve would say, hey, like, I totally get that, like, like, but I, I understand that wearing a hat in church is not, like, that's not doing anything. My, I have reverence for God. That I, I come in here and I, I worship God. And my goal and my desire is to hear from Him and to walk in obedience in light of what God shows me. And so are, are the two of them going to, they're going to drive a stake in the ground and be like, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, like, what this looks like is if that were to take place, it's not going to take place. I know it's not. You guys love each other and we all love Steve. But here's how it should look. If somebody were to come to Steve, this is what I'm talking about, and say, hey, this bugs me. Steve should not say, well, you're a moron. (laughs) He could. He could run over them because it doesn't say that in the Bible. But what if Steve said, you know what? If it bothers you, I'll gladly take it off. Gladly. Why Why would I seek to become a stumbling? Oh, wait, Mackenzie's wearing a hat, too. 
I didn't even notice Mackenzie. <laughs> On backwards. Are you kidding me? But the point is this. is like, and, and then what if that person, like, you know what? I'm sorry. Like, I see, like, I totally, and they start arguing about who's going to be more humble and who's going to, you, you see what I'm saying? It's like, all of a sudden, it's like, hey, I have the freedom to wear a hat in church 100%. But if this is a problem for you, then I will gladly lay it down for the sake of unity, for the sake of my brother or sister in Christ. And that's just a small example to what the way in which we should interact, the unity, the love in which we should have for one another as we interact with one another and the care we have for our spiritual well-being and, and the way in which we see. It doesn't, matter. it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. But the person in front of me does. And so let's, let's figure this thing out together in humility, in love, right? And so when we have the proper context, we can evaluate each situation. I, I was... Um, I was thinking today about, um, this was years ago, I had gone on a mission trip, this was before I was in ministry, and um, I, there was a guy on the mission team with us, we were having a conversation, he was talking about, Larry, there was this pivotal moment, he was in New Orleans, um, there was this, uh, this cross, and Jesus is on the cross, and the crucifixion, and, uh, and so like he's, we're having this whole conversation, and, um, and he's like, man, it's just this pivotal moment. He said, so I bought me one of these crosses with Jesus on the cross. And, uh, and, and so, like, God had used this as a moment in his life where he had really done something awesome. And in that moment, I was, as I apologized to my wife earlier about being a moron, all, I'm like, all I could think about was, like, well, cross, Christ isn't on the cross anymore. Like, why, why do you have a crucifixion? Like, why? And I got hung up on that. And he got ticked off. And rightly so. Like, I wasn't celebrating the work that God was doing in his life. I was focused on this thing that just didn't matter. It didn't matter. And I can remember, like, I, I ended up, we, we actually hugged on the airplane home. And, uh, and so the lady next to us was like, what is going on? You know, what, what is happening right now? But the point is, is that we can get so hung up on, on, th on things that just, they just don't matter. They just don't matter. So we got to keep the main thing the main thing. When we have the proper context that the Christian life is bigger than us, then we figure out, like, hey, this can be ignored. This can be laughed at. This is just a simple irritation. This, I have the freedom to lay it down or to not lay it down. But it, it doesn't matter. Or this is something that we've got to take more seriously. This is something that's got to be confronted. And so i got to figure out the best way to do this and how to handle this for the sake of unity within the body and for my love for this brother or sister in Christ. But this is what we have to understand. We have to understand that unity is not something that's optional for believers. It is expected when we look to Scripture. It is expected. Unity is expected. And think, think about when Jesus makes the statement. He says, this is how the world's going to know that you're my disciples. I think about all the ways that, all the things that he could have said in this moment. What does he say? He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's what he says. It's the love that we have for one another that communicates that we belong to Jesus. And we're communicating 
Uh, really, we're, we're as, as 2 Corinthians talks about, we're his ambassadors in this world. As if God were pleading through us to the world around us. And he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. And if we just keep button heads and can't get along, nobody's going to listen to a stinking thing that we say. And so we've got to love each other well. I, I, uh, last thing I want to say. So if you think about, um, think about the apostles, there was Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Simon the Zealot was a member of, so a zealot was basically a member, I'm going to give you just the 20-second version so you understand what's going on. He's a member of this basically a, a Jewish revolutionary group. Um, they would have looked at him as like a heroic freedom fighter in a lot of ways that um, were seeking to, to overthrow the Roman uh, oppression that the Jewish people were experiencing. So he's like a, a modern-day Robin Hood or something. You know? So he's, like, he's, the, he's the guy who's really looking out to, to really do away with this, with this oppression. And then you have Matthew, who would have been looked at as a sellout, a traitor to the Jewish people, because he essentially is working for the Roman people, right? for the Roman government. He's, he's collecting taxes, and then he's collecting more, and it's this, this oppressive tax that he's doing. And so like, he's, he's putting oppression onto the Jewish people while these, the zealot... And so both of these guys are with Jesus. They're one of the twelve, okay? They would have hated each other in, in any other circle, in any other situation. There would have been, there would have been great uh, disdain for each other. Hated would, have, would be putting it lightly in the natural order of things. But what did it communicate about the, their Savior, Jesus Christ, when Jesus rolls up and Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector are right there side by side. They're like, wait a minute, I know you did the whole, like you gave that blind guy sight, and I know you fed like 5,000, and I know you did all these miraculous, I know that paralytic like couldn't walk, and now he's walking. But those two guys together, like that's a miracle. That's a miracle. But there's unity there. And, and why? There's no other way to explain that but the work of Christ and the unity that takes place that's unexplainable, but it's communicating something about their Savior every time they show up. And I'm so grateful for all the differences in this room. I'm, I'm so grateful for, for all the diversity in this room. I'm so grateful for all the backgrounds and all like every, every single thing that makes you unique. And that we get to come together and we get to declare that we are, we are disciples of Christ by the way that we love one another. Like that's saying something to the world around us. And so last thing I have to say is let's set out to be a people that causes the watching world to scratch their head in awe and wonder of the God that we serve. And that we will care more about the name and the renown, the renown of God than we care about our own name, our own reputation, our own hurt feelings, our own anything. It's about, it's about Him. It's about putting Him. It's not about us. It's about putting Him first. It's about putting others first. And when we do that, people will take notice and people will, will listen to what we have to say. And that's the opportunity we get to to talk about our great king that puts zealots and tax collectors together. That's what we have in here. That's what we have in here.
but it's the blood of Christ that unites us. And that's, that's been accomplished. But we're going to have to fight for and preserve unity. We're going to have to do that. It's going to take work. It's going to take work today. It's going to take work tomorrow. It's going to take work next week, next month, next year. It's never ending as long as we're in this sin, these sinful bodies. But it's worth it. The reputation of Christ is worth it. Let's pray. God, thank you for thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge before us. And I just pray that we would be a people who walk in unity.